today on your show, Making Your Workplace a Better Place to Work. Hi, I'm Mark Franklin, practice leader of a team of professional career counselors at CareerCycles.com, and I'm pleased to be your host today on Career Buzz, and thank you for tuning in this morning. How can you help create a workplace where you want to work? Your workplace is on a mission to make work better. It's a Canadian multimedia company that delivers cutting-edge information on managing wellness and work culture through an award-winning magazine and events. Today, we hear from five conference speakers at the recent event, Imagine Your Workplace Conference. It was held at the Toronto Botanical Gardens, just a gorgeous venue for a conference. Special thanks to Joel Krantz and Vera Asinen at the Your Workplace uh, magazine and team. If the world these days is volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, also known as VUCA, how do you lead yourself and others? Rob Elkington is president of Global Leadership Initiatives, and he tells us about the antidote to VUCA, which he calls VUCA Prime, where V is for vision. Stay tuned for the new UCA. How can an organization walk its talk? Caprice Stokes tells us how. She's an area director at property management company Parawest based in Scottsdale, Arizona. More than just presenting information, a facilitator is someone who plans, guides, and organizes. But what is this skill of facilitation and how can it help you in your career? And how can you get better at it? Well, Mo Poirier is here to tell us how. He's founding partner of Shift Facilitation. What is valued more in the workplace, technical skills or these so-called soft skills like communication, active listening, emotional intelligence, and empathy? Listen in as Kristen Harcourt and I discuss and debate the case for elevating soft skills to power skills or human skills, which power up your workplace. But first... How do you design an organizational culture? Laura Appleton is Senior Manager of People and Culture at the Outdoor Equipment and Apparel Company, Arcteryx. Here's my interview with Laura Appleton. Uh, Laura Appleton, what do you like about your career these days? That's one of my favorite questions, Mark. What I love about my job is it doesn't feel like a job. I get to work within my purpose. I get to use my strengths pretty much every day. And I get to work in a team that brings out the best in me and, um, and have a couple of laughs along the way. Nice. Now, your, your title is Senior Manager People and Culture at Arcteryx. What does a people and culture manager do? That's a very good question. I am responsible for talent acquisition, talent management, and talent activation. And those are the three main ingredients that enable our workforce across our global locations perform at their absolute best. Uh, formerly, we were called HR, Human Resources, and we have uh, evolved that department and what we offer to our people to really look at them as a human being in terms of performance and then culture. What are those events, experiences that can bring out the best for them at work? Um, we like to talk a lot on CareerBuzz about the skills and strengths that people use. You know, we so often look at job postings, we look at a list of strengths and skills. What, what would you say are the top few skills that you use to be effective in your, in your job? I think the number one skill right now is a growth mindset. So we think about fixed mindset and we think about growth mindset. And the world is changing daily. The influx of technology and globalization means that problems that would have taken six months to appear can take place in six seconds. So we like to look for people with a growth mindset that are problem solvers. And for me, this is one of my first skills that I think I was actually born with, so it fits me perfectly. And then improv. 
So improvisation from a comedy angle, we look at setting our people up from a place of um, what skills do they not know they need that are going to give them confidence, whether it's on the front line at retail, whether it's on in the boardroom, making strategic decisions. We provide a number of improv workshops that help people take themselves a little less secret, uh, seriously and enable them to have a confidence to get their ideas across, to ask questions, to fail forward, and again, have some comedy relief in there. So if we step back a little bit and think, how did you get here? I mean, this sounds like a really interesting job. You're using growth mindset and improv skills to be successful. I think many listeners would say, hey, how do I get her job? <laughs> so what are a couple of turning points for you um, that brought you to such a fascinating job? I went to school, to college, to learn about design. And I love design. I'm not a very good designer. And a recruiter in London, England, let me know that and said, what I think you would be good at is recruitment. I said, I don't really know what that is. She said, don't worry about it, turn up on Monday. And that was my first step into HR, and I did agency recruitment in London for two and a half years. Wait, I gotta stop you there. That's a really interesting story, and people often don't know how to find their way with their careers, and sometimes there's an influential other who can just see something in you. But that's quite a dramatic change from design to recruitment. What did that person see in you that made him, her say, hey, Laura, you'd be great at this recruitment thing? She let me know. She said, there's two things that make a great recruiter. The understanding of the market and how to match a candidate to an agency and the connectivity that you have to people. So some people call it charisma, some people call it charm, others call it um, a relator. And I would later ask her at a, uh, a boozy quarterly results uh, celebration, what was it that you did see in me in that interview when clearly I wasn't there to interview for the role? And she said exactly that. You understood, you had strong business acumen to know what a good um, relationship would look like. And you had a disarming personality that would, I knew I could send you to an agency, to a client, or have you go and work with candidates. And then the underlying piece that she would later tell me was my competitive edge. So I didn't want to go to school for design. I wanted to go to the Olympics and play football or hockey. That also didn't work out, but I haven't lost that competitiveness of wanting to not, no longer win, but to be able to achieve and to be successful in whatever I chose to wow. do. Wow, great story. Thanks for sharing that. And that it's helpful, I think, to know that things can happen in your career, like in your story, and somebody spots something in you and has a different idea and just being open to pivot mm -hmm. when those opportunities come. Okay, so recruitment, just carry on. Yeah. We're talking about a couple of turning points. So there would be another one. So at that point, I was um, very successful at that job, and I decided that I wanted a pay increase, and I was a little bit uh, entitled, and I didn't get that pay increase, so I decided that's it. I'm leaving London. I'm leaving recruitment. I'm going to start my own business importing silk-filled duvets in Canada. And some people might be raising their eyebrows because they've never heard of it. I should have done more market research because two and a half years into that, it was a slog. And I would meet my future manager at a networking event. And she asked me what I did. And I told her miserably. And she said, if you don't like that, what would you like to be doing? And my face lit up. And I said, I'd love to get back into recruitment. But I don't know anybody in Vancouver. I'm new. You were. And she said, oh, I'm looking for a recruiter. And I said, where do you work? And she said, Lululemon Athletica. And I said, what is Lululemon? And she said, don't worry about it. Just come for an interview on Monday. So, story goes, I turn up on the Monday. It works out. I learn about yoga. And it uh, turns out it's really good for you. And that free month contract turned into three years. 
and then I would leave again. I wanted another pay increase. You can see a pattern here. I like to call it maturing. And uh, I went and worked for a sales-driven organization for recruitment. And that would teach me the lesson of my purpose didn't align with my values and the product that I was recruiting people to work for. It was not going to be a interesting and enjoyable ride. So I left that business after six months, threw the towel in on recruitment and said, that's it, I'm retiring. And I went to be a project manager for a very cool digital design agency, and I loved it. But I was the world's worst talent. Uh, sorry, world's worst recruit. Uh, the world's worst project manager. project manager. And they fired me two weeks before Christmas, and that was one of the best pivotal moments of my career because it was finally a um, a moment of clarity for me to go back to my roots to understand what I was put on the earth to do and gear down a little bit, as my mum would say. And then I found the job at Arterix, and that was four years ago. My guest today is Laura Appleton. She's Senior Manager of People and Culture at Arcteryx Equipment. I'm your host, Mark Franklin, here on Career Buzz. Um, Laura, that's quite the uh, bunch of turning points. If we had more time, I'd ask you a lot more about that. But now you're at Arcteryx. You've gone beyond recruiting, although I think that's probably a very helpful background to the kind of culture change that you're doing. So your talk at the Your Workplace Conference is about designing a culture. In very simple terms, can you just say, what, what does that mean? How do you design a culture? Organizations have cultures. How can you actually create or shift those cultures? The difference for me is whether you're conscious or unconscious. Unconsciously, we are contributing to a culture. If we're conscious about it, then we're able to design it. We start to choose who is this for, what is this about, and why are we doing it? And as you've heard in my career, there's been quite a few turning points where arguably I was unconscious and those turning points woke me up. And with Arcteryx, there's a real commitment from our senior leadership team and from our teams uh, that work with them to make a conscious culture. So, Laura, you were just saying about designing a conscious culture. What are some... What are some things, if I were a fly on the wall and if I were trying to watch how this actually works, you know, you weave your magic on, on culture in the organization and how, how do employees experience that? We have a philosophy around decentralizing people and culture. So I'm a firm believer that to get the best out of your people, you've got to have great people leaders. And so part of our work has been to go out and use design thinking as a system to understand from those people leaders what is great leadership going to look like at Arcteryx. So right there we're asking the people that are on the front lines with their teams, what do you need, what do you want to study, and how do we mobilize and make it happen. And so what happens is we take those themes that we discover and then we build workshops and a, a, a body of work that supports them in their leadership journey. We also do engagement surveys and actually take action afterwards. So we've been using great places to work and we're using a pulse survey engagement system at the moment. What's key here is again taking the results as a department and then dispersing the responsibility and the accountability into the organization. So we have culture captains within each department that take the results, then they host their own design thinking workshops. What's an example maybe of, of something that you heard from one of those surveys? Because I know maybe lots of listeners have had a survey and they always think, I'm going to answer these hundred questions, but what's going to happen? Mm -hmm. What's something that actually happened from those surveys? A lot. I'll tell you my favorite. We discovered, and this was two and a half years old, that uh, people did not feel gratitude. They didn't feel 
that they were being acknowledged specifically or regularly enough for the work that they were doing. So we created a, um, a tool called Shoutouts, and we have a monthly all-company huddle that's in person. You stand up for 30 minutes and hear from across the business updates and what have you, and we reserve every time five minutes for shoutouts where everybody across the organization has an opportunity to nominate somebody that's demonstrated core values or a particular behavior from our code of the collective that has helped the business themselves, the team thrive, and they get a hot one minute world attention, well, our Terex world. But it's to re-demonstrate, hey, two and a half years ago, something wasn't happening, we're shifting now. We want to reflect and celebrate and, and create a platform for these shout outs to occur. And so with the result of that, do we have a culture of gratitude now? And so many cultures have a lot of complaining and blame and you know how is this shifted to have these shout outs well initially we struggled to get shout outs and now we have almost too many and we actually have to uh, limit the space that we have but we always print them out and put them in the communal areas straight after the huddle and I would say that the percentages on our scores for gratitude have increased I'd say we still have some time to go. When you grow your business uh, double figures every year, you're bringing in new people that need to get used to this different way of being. Um, so we're, we're on a journey, but I would say overall it's, in, it's increased quite dramatically. Awesome, those are great examples, Laura. Thanks so much. Last question, if I circle back to the, um, the personal, you started to tell us a little bit about your career story. What's one thing that you've learned um, from personal experience that you can share with listeners? Um, about broadly making good choices, making career and life choices so that you get to where you want to go? What a wonderful final question. I have so many answers. What I would say is part of my personal purpose is to enable people to bring them their whole self to work. And I have not been able to do that until my time at Arterix. So my advice, my recommendation is to do as much investigation into your own strengths, your purpose, your passions and uncover who your whole self is and I don't think there's any accident that we look at people that are performing in sports or business um, in restaurants whomever you look to that looks like they're having a lot of fun and having success whilst they go they are being 100% themselves and it's when we can be that at work that I think magic happens thanks so much Laura Appleton great advice much appreciated uh, Rob Elkington, welcome to Career Buzz. That was my interview with uh, Laura Appleton at the Your Workplace uh, conference that was just last week. Wasn't that great? She talked about bringing your whole self to work and quite an interesting uh, zigzagging career story that she shared with us. I'm your host here, Mark Franklin, on Career Buzz, 89.5 FM in the Greater Toronto Area, worldwide at CIUT.FM. Next up, Rob Elkington. If the world these days is volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, also known as VUCA, how do you lead yourself and others? Rob Elkington, president of Global Leadership Initiatives, tells us how. What is the VUCA antidote? It is VUCA prime, V for vision. What are the other letters? Have a listen. Uh, Rob Elkington, welcome to Career Buzz. Thanks so much, Mark. Great to be here. Uh, what do you like about your career these days? Yeah, so Global Leadership Initiatives exist to uh, develop excellence in leadership globally. And for us, that's a very transformational statement. I get really excited about the impact that uh, helping people grow into ex excellent leaders has upon the world around us. So for me, it's a very exciting time of life. 
And what are all the things you're doing? Now, you were here speaking at this your workplace conference, or you're a public speaker. What are all the hats that you wear? Yes, so um, we've published two books that are sold globally. Um, we, I, we also have three university certificates, one in visionary leadership, one in police leadership, and we have uh, a police service right now using that certificate to train their officers, and three other services around the world that are looking at it and, and going to be using it. Uh, we also have a um, university certificate in coaching for performance and mentorship that's fully online. Um, and then we do a lot of workshops. We do, um, we do a lot of uh, virtual coaching. We, we have many components to our organization and to me personally. What's one or two skills that you draw on regularly to be successful in your career? Absolutely. So I think the first is knowing people. I think we have to really believe that people are our greatest asset and, and really understanding that people are passionate, not driven. For me, that's been a skill I've had to really uh, focus on and come to terms with. So building relationships for me is paramount. I'd rather get to know you first before I even get to know what you do. Nice. Here you're doing this really interesting work and you get to stand up on stages like the one I just heard you at. What's a turning point that you can share with listeners that brought you to this moment in your career? I think for me, you know, oftentimes there are those pivotal moments uh, in our lives, those kind of serendipitous moments. And for me, it was a, a colleague who um, was going on vacation and asked me to stand in to teach his leadership course. Um, and I was unbelievably nervous about that, but also incredibly excited. I've always believed that leadership, you know, is paramount and pivotal to the success of countries and organizations. And so for me, that was a turning point. I, I took it on. I was, I was novice. I was green. I tried many new things um, in that process, and I've never looked back. Nice. My guest today is Rob Elkington. He's president and CEO of Global Leadership Initiatives. I'm Mark Franklin, host of Career Buzz. So, Rob, your topic was really interesting, visionary leadership in a turbulent world thriving in the new VUCA context. All right, if listeners aren't familiar with the VUCA context, what are you talking about? Yes, yeah, so it's a, a term that was coined by the American military in the 1990s. We've co-opted it to the business world, and VUCA basically stands for uh, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. And of course, that is very evident uh, in our world today. We're very interconnected. There's a great deal of volatility. Um, uncertainty abounds. Uh, complexity in decision making and the difficulties of making good decisions in this complex environment. And then ambiguity, really struggling uh, many times in a systems uh, approach and understanding that every decision we make has impact in the ambiguity is to understand what is the best decision in this context. I appreciated that ambiguity one that you were talking about and the, the fuzziness now between right and wrong and the ethical decisions we're all faced with. Uh, you know, just to pick up on one of those, the A of VUCA, what's an example of that? Uh, in terms of ambiguity, yeah. I would say SNC-Lavalin would be a great example, although there are so many. We're a, we're a Canadian-based company um, working outside of its borders had to deal with the ambiguity of then bribing officials in other countries to secure contracts. It's standard operating procedure there, but it's illegal here. And so how does one balance those that tension? Carefully, and sometimes not so, not so elegantly. Yes. Um, so now you have a way of shifting from VUCA, from this volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous world that we're in, and you have an antidote almost to it. And I'd like to talk a bit about that antidote, especially from the point of view of leadership and self-leadership first, to think about how can we use 
this uh, VUCA and the, the antidote to help us. So what, what is the antidote to VUCA? Sure, Mark. So that's a great question. The antidote to VUCA is situated as VUCA prime, which stands for vision to replace volatility, understanding to replace uncertainty, clarity to replace complexity, and agility to replace ambiguity. Um, and if you want me to talk through each of those just very briefly, I'm happy to do that. And, and especially how it relates now. If I'm a, a listener in an organization, maybe I'm an individual contributor, maybe I'm a new supervisor or manager. Yeah. You know, if, if we just think about it in the context of my day-to-day -day reality in the workplace, how, how does VUCA Prime now affect people? Absolutely. So I think as a supervisor or even as an individual in a workplace, one of the things you want to be really clear on is what is the vision of this organization? How is the world going to be different because this organization has existed? And does my personal vision and values align with the vision and values of this organization? So I think that's the first thing. Tie, drilling down on that, of course, is we need to be really clear on what our personal vision is. And I think a lot of times uh, we as individuals haven't really taken the time to sit down and reflect on uh, what do we want to accomplish with this life that we have? How can we make a difference? And actually to sit down and create a picture of a desired future state in our own lives and how that then overlays on the organization for which we're working or with which we're working and how we might uh, in our personal vision, support the vision of the organization. Nice. Hard to do. I've been working with people on that very thing. We call it a clarification statement. Yes. Writing it down, though, right? Yes. Writing it down is a really important thing. It's floating around in your head, and how do I want to make a difference in the world? Writing it down and then sharing it with another gives yes. you a sense of ownership. So that's vision. What about understanding? Understanding is the capacity to stop, to look, and to listen to the characteristics of play. Uh, Wall Street Journal in 2015 wrote an article bemoaning the ethical missteps of CEOs because they do not have enough time to sit and reflect on who they really are in terms of the context in which they work. And so one of the things in understanding that we really uh, try to develop and help people with is the idea of leveraging big data or research if, if you're not into big data, but certainly taking the time to research and then also deploy critical thinking uh, in, in the moment to really get a handle on what is going on in this moment. And, and there's a lot more to say about that, but basically is what I think is happening really happening? Shifting from complexity to clarity, how do yes. we apply clarity in our daily work? Yes, so clarity relates to once I have the understanding, how well do I communicate with clarity my understanding to those with whom I'm working? And whenever I conduct workshops, I always give the peop uh, people the example of Donald Trump. Uh, who was very clear. So when you think of the election, I say to people, what was Trump's slogan? Let's make America, America great again. again. What does that mean? No one has the faintest idea of what that means, but it was really clear. I then ask people to tell me, what was Hillary's slogan? And nobody can. There was very little clarity. So clarity in, this, in these days of tremendous complexity is vitally important. Once I gain the understanding and I know in terms of our vision, I understand what's going on here and this is where we need to go, how clearly am I communicating and articulating and modeling that to those with whom I work? And finally, taking the clarity and moving it into not ambiguity, but agility. Yes. So agility arises strangely and almost counterintuitively from collaborative 
uh, decision making and that's where we need to get the best people in the room and of course we see this in the case studies for instance of JF Kennedy and the Bay of Pigs fiasco and other situations where he made a bad decision realized his decision making process wasn't good and then moved to this idea of collaborative decision making and there's a great tool called the Vroom Jago decision making model which helps us to determine when I should make a decision on my own and when I should bring others into the room, and then how to leverage their expertise so that we can react with agility to the ambiguity that we're facing. Nice. Is that a resource listeners can just search on the internet? Absolutely. What's if, it called again? The Vroom Jago decision-making model. Got it. And for the agility there, just thinking about um, career management and how people manage their careers for the future, right? All of these are really important, vision, understanding, clarity. If we just think about that agility and the ability to pivot as required, you might have a vision, I'm going to go from step A to B to C, but then things change, right? So how do we apply agility in our own career management? Yeah, I think that's a phenomenal uh, question. With the students I work with, I highlight for them the absolute imperative of building strong networks. Um, and ensuring that they're well connected to meaningful mentors, to meaningful coaches, so that as they want to pivot, as they need to make that change, they're not doing it in a vacuum and they have relational ties with people who can connect them, support them, and, uh, and help them to move through that change. Nice. Rob, you've taken us on a bit of a journey here. If I come back to the personal last question, you told us a bit about your own career story and that serendipitous moment. What's one thing you've learned from your own story about making good choices, good career and life choices? One thing you can share with listeners? Absolutely. I think the big thing that I've learned uh, is, uh, to quote Richard Branson, if somebody asks you to do something, say yes, and then figure out how to do it. Um, we have this tremendous challenge in our lives sometimes of the imposter syndrome. And really, if, if people see something in us that they believe uh, we can do, uh, we ought to try it. Um, the worst we can do is do a bad job. Uh, it's still worth doing, and we all from every situation. Great advice. Rob Elkington, thanks so much for joining us here on Career Buzz. Thanks so much, Mark. It's been great. That was my interview with Rob Elkington. Really interesting. I've been using that acronym VUCA for a long time, and his VUCA Prime uh, was really a useful um, antidote as we were talking about vision, understanding, clarity, and agility. You heard it here on Career Buzz. I'm your host, Mark Franklin, here on CIUT 89.5 FM in Toronto, worldwide at CIUT.FM. I was your Career Buzz correspondent last week at the Imagine Your Workplace conference. Check yourworkplace.ca. Thanks to the team at Your Workplace. Next up, Caprice Stokes. How can an organization walk its talk? Caprice Stokes tells us how. She's area director at property management company Parawest based in Scottsdale, Arizona. Caprice Stokes, welcome to Career Buzz. Hi, thank you. Glad to be here. Uh, you're uh, a corporate trainer, legal liaison, and area director at ParaWest Management. What do you like about your career? I like it that it's, uh, I love that it's multifaceted. I love the autonomy that I have. Um, without that autonomy, I would not have been able to uh, have a trifold position. Uh, each position works off of the other, so it's, um, it's the excitement of that that I love and the autonomy, of course. Nice. So, so what are all the hats that you wear? You, you do a number of things within ParaWest, and I know you do some things outside of that. What are all your career hats right now? Got you. And although it seems like a lot of career hats, I think they all blend or have one core base, and that is that, that base is training and development. I really love that, and that's my passion. And I actually started off as an area director uh, with ParaWest, and basically what that is is um, we manage uh, apartment communities 
point blank. And I have a region that I help manage. So I developed that team, uh, the team of community managers, and we um, uh, developed them and trained them. But as we grew within our organization, we I found a need to um, serve in another capacity because we were lacking in sometimes in training and we did not have a trainer. So I placed myself in that role, became the trainer. Um, and and uh, over time, then it was recognized by our um, our CEO and our owners, and they just let me have that. Again, that's where that autonomy kicks in. Um, now, from the training, I realized that we also had another position, and that's where my uh, corporate legal liaison position comes in, uh, because we also needed a, um, a person that dealt with attorneys um, with this training. Uh, so a person that works directly with the uh, attorneys to get the information to give to our community managers. So then that created yet another uh, part of that. That position, but again, all of it centers around uh, training and development, which is wonderful because with my uh, entrepreneur activities, I um, uh, have created Creaculum, and that is basically the exact same thing. It's just all of the things I do at Para West made into one uh, entity. Nice. So many people say they want work and life to mix and be one, and it sounds like with Creaculum, you've you've kind of done that. You're doing some work outside the organization, and it. It serves more of your uh, desires to get out there. Absolutely. So let's um, let's just learn in in a little bit. In a nutshell, how did you get here? What's a turning point that you can share with listeners about your career story that led you into this whole world of corporate training and, and curriculum development? Absolutely. Um, um, I when I entered property management as an area director. Um, I did it for a survival purpose, and that survival was I was a single mother, and I had to take care of my uh, children. And I made a decision one day. I said, okay, I either have to have my housing discounted or my child care discounted, and so I chose housing, and that is how I initially got into the uh, property management area director business. The thing is, you did not hear me say anything about, oh, I did it because of the passion. I did it because I enjoy. And so I was in a position or in an area that ultimately should not have ever made me happy or should not have ever built me into uh, where I would be actualized, if, if that, you know, if we can look at it that way. But in the turning point then was... In the position that I was in, even though I wasn't happy with it, I looked at the people that I was working with, and those were the motivators, and I saw their needs. Their needs were, you know, we want to be developed. They were hungry. They wanted that, and so I literally took my position as an area director and was able to segue it into something that was usable and something that actually did make me want to wake up in the morning and did motivate me and excite me and drive me to uh, do more and more and more. Para West would have never had um, the um, the several positions or me wearing this, uh, several hats had it not been for looking at those employees and saying, you know what, let's do this, let's serve them. So out of the need to serve others, that is where the turning point was and recognizing that need and not only that, but acting on it nice. and moving in it. Beautiful story, Caprice. Thanks for sharing that. There's a couple of dimensions of that story that I think I, I just want to amplify. First of all, sometimes you wind up in things because of personal circumstance. If I hear your story right, you know, moving into housing that was a different, a subsidized housing or something, and that led you to learn more about this in the job 
job came because of what you found through your personal life. Absolutely. And it wasn't a job that you loved, and you figured out how to love your job by finding the places and the needs that were there and serving others. That is exactly right. So that's a really great, great deep lessons in that story. My guest today is Capri Stoke. She's a corporate trainer, legal liaison, and area director for Parawest uh, Management. That's actually in Scottsdale, Arizona. I'm your host, Mark Franklin of Career, Bo- Career Buzz here in Toronto. Um, Caprice, we're at this uh, Imagine Your Workplace conference. You spoke today uh, on the topic of Beyond Appearances, Imagine a Workplace That Walks Its Talk. And you're trying to talk a little bit about culture and how do we get people to be kind of authentic and honest and do what they say they're going to do. So how do, how do we do that uh, to solve the problem? You know, you gave us some information about the turnover rates and how many people we're losing. And I guess what's the problem that we're trying to solve before we come up with that solution? Absolutely. I think what we are trying to solve, or maybe placed a different way, is we're trying to get our organizations, our people to see themselves in the mirror because I think that is the only way through that honesty, through that real honesty is the only way I feel that we can get to the core uh, issue. And it may not even be a problem, so I don't want to even use that word, but the core issue uh, to be true to yourself has to be exposed. We can always say, you know, uh, Facebook is a good example. We can always put on a good face. We can always use a filter, but uh, at the end of the day, you know, are we real? And so that is what and how I approached uh, this talk. We have to be real. We have to be honest. And in all honesty, everything basic, everything pretty much rides on the honesty and the uh, the real we're willing to be with ourselves and our team members. And we build from there and find those solutions. You have this nice... Um strategy like a lot of different speakers come with different ways of looking at things yours is this lovely acronym of soul support own it understand listen and evaluate in in a nutshell like in a minute what what is the soul approach to to creating that authenticity at work? Absolutely. We support team members and who they are. We, you know, meet them where they are. And when we, when we say own it, uh, that's the O portion. We own our culture, bad or good. You own it. You, that's your culture. You take, you take uh, responsibility for it. To understand means that you get it. You get that you have some things that need to be fixed. You get that you have some, um, some great things that you need to do. Develop. And so to understand and be able to communicate and to be able to articulate that to your teams. And then finally, to actively listen, even if you don't uh, want to hear what is said, and more than likely we won't, especially if we're hearing that truth. But if you actively listen and listen for opportunities to change, that is, in a nutshell, the, uh, the, the recipe for soul and how we can make workplace better. So there's something there for leaders and managers who might be listening. But if you're an employee listening mm. and you feel like, you know, I don't, I don't have control over this culture, what, what tips or advice do you have for an employee who feels like, ah, you know, this, this company could use a better culture, yeah. but I can't really control it. Maybe I should just leave. But before they do that, what, what, what can you advise them? How can they contribute to a culture change? I am so glad you asked that because... I'm sitting here today as a presenter, and I tell you right now, I had absolutely no power when I entered Para West. That power was created by a thought process uh, within me that said, you know what, I have to be the change I want to see. And in all honesty, nothing will happen until you make a change. And it may be one step every day, but those steps are important. And so walk every day, take a step and toward the change you want to see. And I guarantee one day you will, you will find yourself in a place where, wow, 
wow, I have more authority than I thought. And that authority, so if you be that change yourself, mm -hmm. get yourself into a position where you can influence things with some degree of authority. Absolutely. Lovely. Absolutely. Nice. Caprice, if I bring it back to the, the personal, you shared a bit about your own personal story. Um, what can you share with listeners about what you've learned about making good choices, career and life choices? We all go through the ups and downs, and if people are at a crossroads, what's something you can share from your own story that might, uh, might help them? In all honesty, every day I surrender. And I tell my teams, I quit before I even begin each day. And what that means is to understand that I am not the Powerball of this day. What I can do is make my difference, speak my truth, and walk in it. But, you know, as, as long as we think that we control everything and that we're, you know, we have a hammer or a handle on everything, I don't think that we'll make the choices um, as well as we could have. But you take some time you take that pause and you you center yourself and understand that you know all things work together and um, and so uh, and we just go on from there so beautiful nice advice thanks so much Caprice Stokes for joining us here on Career Bus. oh thank you Mark a pleasure to be here and an honor that was Caprice Stokes at the Your Workplace Conference did you hear the birds chirping in the background we were at the Toronto Botanical Garden just a gorgeous place look it up on the internet or go there Lawrence and uh, Leslie in Toronto uh, speaking outside the Imagine Your Workplace Conference I'm your host Mark Franklin here on Career Buzz CIUT 89.5 FM in Toronto worldwide at CIUT.FM. Wasn't that a great story she told? She said, it should not have made me happy, that job that she took because of circumstances, but she made it into a job that she loves. Great story, Caprice Stokes. Thanks so much. Up next, Mo Poirier. More than just presenting information, a facilitator is someone who plans, guides, and organizes. But what is this skill of facilitation? How can it help you in your career in life, and how can you get better at it? Mo Poirier tells us how He's founding partner of Shift Facilitation. Mo Poirier joins me live here in the uh, Outdoor Career Buzz studio. Welcome, Mo, to Career Buzz. Well, thank you, Mark. What do you like about all the things you're doing in your career these days? I think it's just being on purpose, so connecting skills, experiences, and tying that together with things that I'm really passionate about. So I think I've got this unique opportunity to use all the things that I've done throughout my career, bring that together in a really meaningful way and sharing that with others. It's pretty rewarding. So when you say sharing that with others, what are the things that you're doing? You're here at a conference, your workplace, speaking... So you're doing public speaking. What are all the things that you do? Yeah, so we've, we've just, in the past few years, just really focused on helping people develop and grow as facilitators. So our primary work at Shift Facilitation is to help teach people facilitation skills. And so tying this in with human resources, tying this in with the everyday work that people do to collaborate, to work in teams, to innovate, to change, all of these things become very, very valuable. And facilitation skills, we believe, is at the root of all of it. Nice. So how does somebody get to be a facilitation expert? What's, what's a turning point or two in your career story, Mo, that brought you to this point? Um, it's been a windy path, Mark, to be honest. I went to school, I was an engineer, and took a hairpin turn, started my own business. But the parts of my work that have always given me a lot of fuel or have been really satisfying for me, I've been leading workshops, I've been working with teams, and so there's this thread, if you go all the way back, there's this thread of 
facilitation skills, being up in front of a group, leading people through something, whether that's a vision, mission, strategy session, or a training workshop. So interesting. Well, I didn't know that about you. My first career is in engineering also. Okay. What's funny is that people have these stereotypes of engineers. I don't feel I fit the stereotype, but what's your reaction when people hear that you have a background in engineering when they know that that's not the stereotypical skill set of the engineer? No, uh, that's, a, that's a really nice insight, Mark. I often get, what, you're an engineer? Yeah. <laughs> so there's this uh, surprise and delight, I think, at the same time that um, it's possible to break the mold, right? And so, yeah, it, it's been really cool for me. So, you know, that turning point for sure coming out of school, and then I would say there's been a couple for me along the way. Um, and most recently, it was, you know, from failure, right? So was a partner in a small boutique consulting firm. We were doing leadership work, and we just couldn't grow fast enough. And so after disappointment, out of a bit of struggle, came a chance for me to reflect and really think about what I really wanted to do when I grew up. And facilitation skills became so clear for me in that moment of, transition and change and and figuring out like so what do I really want to do after all these experiences that I've had nice and focus right I really appreciate that it's not easy in this world to focus on a thing yeah good for you well and, and part of my frustration um coming out of failure was how do you really specialize and make a choice in your career that this is my area that I want to focus on as you said and what I found is that's actually been a created freedom for me hmm. um, by narrowing my focus I've actually gotten more, created more opportunity which is a strange phenomenon yeah me. nice ju juxtaposition yeah my guest today is Mo Poirier he's founding partner of Shift Facilitation I'm your host Mark Franklin here on Career Buzz um, so Mo at the uh, Imagine Your Workplace conference here you led a session called Mastering Facilitation Skills so why does this matter to the average person, the average engineer, the average worker in an organization, or a team leader, manager? Why does this matter? Well, let's play with that thread of engineering just for a second. There are folks that I meet in manufacturing environments, for example. They're implementing new processes, more automation, more Lean Six Sigma, more continuous improvement, 5S, Kaizen. Uh, so at the root of all of those programs and processes are conversations mm. and you need to engage people in a different way so that means uh, folks on the shop floor participating in reflection board meetings going on gamba walks and the engineer is leading those conversations so being a good facilitator is being a good host and it also means you're drawing out the very best from the people around you and I think that's everyone's mission in every day so how can I host conversations and draw the best from those conversations to make the world a better place. I know that gets a little fluffy, but that's kind of what we're after, right? Facilitation skills, we believe, is at the core of collaboration, and collaboration is at the core of change and innovation. Nice. Hosting conversations, I like the way you put that. I, I, I teach um, engineering students about career management, and I find one of the things that really is helpful is helping them host conversations as if they're in the workplace. Right. So with that as a kind of way of talking about facilitation skills, hosting conversations, what can you share with listeners? What are some ways that we can start digging into this skill set to help people you know, begin to consider these skills and develop them in themselves? Uh, I th 
two things that we practice very strongly. Um, one is listening. And so, you know, how, how we listen and how we make the space to listen to others. Uh, that is a huge job that a facilitator does. And then second is the art of inquiry. So really being skillful at asking questions and, and drawing out ideas, perspectives, experiences. And, and then the third thing we would say is that from that requires uh, the skill, skillfulness around synthesis. So if you're deeply listening, if you're asking great questions, the value you add is by um, connecting the dots helping people take meaning, helping people extract value. Uh, you have to build something or construct something from that conversation. And so that act of synth synthesis, we believe, is where the facilitator comes in to help people find common ground, etc. Nice. So listening, drawing people out, and synthesizing the skills of facilitation. I find just people have a hard time getting started, right? And I liked your point about um, questions, asking questions. Right. Because people sometimes think, oh, i got to do a presentation. I'm really nervous. I'm going to have to talk. I don't know what to say. And yet there's this other way to look at it. Like, what questions can I ask to get all of them to start talking? Right. So what questions? How do you open things up from a conversation to a meeting, right, and, and get people to start opening up to you instead of you being stressed out about telling them all the stuff? Well, here's a great example. So yesterday I was up on stage here at the conference. I had nine minutes to do a lightning talk. And um, the, the event MC even said, like, why would you take two minutes to turn it over to the audience? And that's exactly what I did. In the first minute and a half of my time on stage, I gave it to the audience. The stage is theirs. The spotlight should be on the participants. And this is a huge shift in mindset. So my question to them was, what truths have you discovered about facilitation? And so bring their experience into the room. And, and there's an emotion in that because some of those experiences will be, oh my gosh, I can't believe what happened. And another one will be like, yes, it really worked. And so when you bring people's experiences into the conversation and you get them sharing, you get them making sense, and, and then you ask them that big question, you know, what truths have you learned about this? They, it starts to validate and verify some of the things that they already know. I love that. And for listeners, you may not be talking about facilitation. You could be talking about production facilities or marketing. What truths have you noticed or have you learned about X? Right. And listeners, you just fill in the X and that's your opening question and give it to them to get started. Yeah. All right. So that builds our listening, right? So mm -hmm. your first skill of listening and then drawing people out and facilitating that conversation. So what, how do we do that? What are those open-ended questions or powerful ways to do that? Right, exactly. So we, we, call, it, uh, we call it Jedi. And um, it's, it's getting a little old because we're discovering now that the younger audiences we're working with don't know Star Wars. <laughs> so we're, there's a bit of a struggle there. But Jedi questions for us are, you know, there's really key phrases and words and we just teach people the basics. So if you know the basic notes of jazz, then, you know, if you know the format, and I'm not a musical uh, guy, so I'm going to get this wrong. But if you understand the basics, then you can c compose and combine and improvise uh, because you know what the underlying structures are. And so in questions, top two, what and how. And then after that, it's trigger words that you put into the question. Details, describe, define, explain, expand, an example, 
And then we have our Yoda question, which is walk me through. Mm. And if you take the, those two questions, what and how, what are the details about? Share an example of how. And so you can see how these things start to combine now, and there is an art form to this. But if you know the basic structures, now you can combine and play. Beautiful. Great, great tips, Mo. Really appreciate that. Uh, just to bring it all back, a uh, last question to bring it back to the personal. You shared a little bit about your personal journey. Mm -hmm. uh, what have you learned that you can share with listeners about making good choices, making good career and life choices? You've had your own um, hairpin turns, as you described to us earlier. What's one thing you can share with listeners? I think it's courage. Mm -hmm. um, I've been rewarded for you know, acts of courage in my career where I was stepping into the unknown. I wasn't sure how that chapter would end, um, but there was a beginning, you know, there was an opening sentence to that chapter and, and it, it was calling me, right? And so I think that, I think it does require courage um, to follow an opportunity or a door opens and then to trust that there's a, a an experience, lessons, insights, wisdom that you get to add to your backpack. I, I like to think of that analogy. You know, you're con continuously adding things to your backpack and courage uh, to step into some of those. Beautiful advice. Mo Poirier, thanks so much for joining us here on Career Buzz. You're welcome. Great interview with Mo Poirier at the Your Workplace Conference. I'm your host, Mark Franklin, here on Career Buzz, CIUT 89.5 FM, worldwide at CIUT.FM. Great questions that uh, Mo was suggesting for facilitation, open-ended questions, and the, uh, the great uh, walk-me-through-it question. Really helpful. Um, last up is Kristen Harcourt. What's valued more in the workplace? Technical skills or so-called soft skills like communication, active listening, empathy, and emotional intelligence? Listen in as Kristen Harcourt and I discuss and debate the case for elevating soft skills to power skills or human skills, which power up your workplace. Kristen Harcourt, welcome to Career Buzz. Wonderful to be here. Uh, so here we are at the Your Workplace uh, conference. You've just spoken on the topic of lack of emotional intelligence is killing your culture. I want to talk to you a bit about that. But first, what do you like about your career these days? Yeah, I love that I'm doing work that I'm passionate about. I left corporate and started my own company two and a half years ago. And honestly, it's one of those things where every day you get so excited that you get to do work that's just completely fills my soul and very meaningful. Um, so I'm excited to be doing work that really feels like a calling. And so what is that calling? What are all the different hats you wear? What are the different things you're doing? Yeah, so I'm focused on doing a lot of uh, executive and leadership coaching and working one-on-one -on -one there. I do professional speaking. And then I do some consulting and training with organizations around creating more positive and productive work cultures. Great. How's business? It's going well. Yes, yes. What would you say the top few skills are that you use regularly to be successful? Mindset is huge. So being very aware of my mindset and being focused on the right priorities. Um, I think being an incredible listener every time I'm having a conversations and relationship building. Nice. So if we um, just take a step back and find out, how did you get here? You mentioned corporate and now you're doing your own thing. If you were to share with listeners a turning point or two in your career story, um, what can you tell us? 
You know, I had the entrepreneurial itch for about five years and I kept hearing it and it was a whisper and then it was getting louder and louder and louder and um, had parents who were quite risk adverse. So it just felt like, Ooh, what am I doing here? And then eventually it just got, it got to the point where I just could tell, I could feel internally, this is just what I, I need to be doing. So I took that leap of faith. Um, haven't looked back and it was the best thing that I ever did. Um, but do want to acknowledge that it does take some courage to, to leave the comfortable and leave the, uh, and leave what the known and the comfortable and going into the unknown. Um, but being able to create my reality and there's really no limits of what that looks like is incredibly fulfilling. Wow. What was the reaction of, of workmates, boss, <laughs> peers, when you said, hey, everybody, I'm quitting this nice corporate job to yes. do my own thing with full of risk? Yes. So friends all said they're not surprised. That they're like, that's totally is, is not at all surprising to us. I, I think parents and family wanted to ask lots of questions in terms of what that financial, <laughs> what that financial aspect would look like. And, and we're very, um, you know, a little bit more operational focused in their questions. My guest today is Kristen Harcourt. She's a certified professional coach. I'm your host, Mark Franklin, here on Career Buzz. Um, Kristen, let's uh, zoom into the topic. You were talking today about emotional intelligence and its effect on culture. You know, we hear the term a lot, emotional intelligence. For you, what does it actually mean? Yeah, so emotional intelligence has four different categories. So first is understanding the self better, so having better self-awareness, so recognition of, of who you are and how you're showing up. It's about self-regulation, so understanding your emotions and what's going on with you and, and having more of a response as opposed to being reactive. And then the social aspect is really understanding social awareness and, social, and uh, relationship management, right? So how are you connecting with the people around you and also being aware of them, not only understanding your own emotions, but understanding the emotions of those around you. So, you know, some people call those soft skills. You know, we have that term floating around in our culture. Uh, you're trying to shift that language. What are these skills? Yes. I believe they're human skills and they're core skills. And anytime we use a word like soft, it's taking away um, really how important they are. So I think the more that we get rid of the language of calling anything soft, um, whether it's be powerful, whether it's being called human, whether it's being called core skills, um, it puts more of an emphasis on it and more credibility and gets people um, rallying behind, okay, this is like, this isn't something like a nice to have. This is something that we really need to take seriously. Right on. We've been talking a lot about these skills on Career Buzz, and I've been using the term power skills for them. Um, but in any event, I think we both agree it's better to shift the language away from this term soft skills towards human skills, power skills. It gives them a recognition of their importance, and we find that employers do say that this is what they want more than anything. Yes. So, and, and your topic was all about these uh, emotional intelligent skills and how they affect workplaces and culture. What is the link? Oh yeah, I mean it's huge. Like when you have people in, in organizations that don't have that level of self-awareness as, as a leader, it's creating an environment where people aren't going to do their best work, right? They're not going to show up and be as productive. They're not going to connect as well with the people around them. Um, so, so the more that leaders are bringing that to the workplace, 
workplace, they're creating environments where the team, there's much better team cohesion, there's more loyalty to the company, um, so they're much more likely to stay with the company, um, they're not going to leave, your, your retention rates are going to have a huge impact. Um, but the other thing that I don't think people think about is how much stress and anxiety gets created when people are in that kind of workplace with toxic behaviors. And then you've got a lot of people that are, are leaving work and having short-term disability or long-term disability. I, I can't tell you how many people who have said they've had to leave work and stay home because of the, the level of stress and anxiety. That was my interview with Kristen Harcourt. I was your Imagine Your Workplace conference correspondent for CareerBuzz, interviewing guests and speakers at the Your Workplace conference. Check yourworkplace.ca. Um, continue listening to CareerBuzz podcasts and episodes. We have uh, two really fabulous episodes of the thoughtful techno-sapien looking at the tensions of technology in our time. Go to careercycles.com and click the podcast button. Check out April 8th and May 28th for the thoughtful techno-sapien. Careercycles.com, click podcasts. You've been listening to Career Buzz, Canada's unique radio conversation that empowers lives, enriches careers, and energizes organizations here on CIUT 89.5 FM. I'm your host, Mark Franklin. Find out more about me at careercycles.com. If you have comments on today's show, shoot me an email. It's mark with a K at careercycles.com. Thanks to my guest today. Capri Stokes, Laura Appleton, Kristen Harcourt, Mo Poirier, Rob Elkington. Uh, special thanks to jo Joel Krantz and Vera Asinen and the Your Workplace team. Technical production today was by Katie Joukowsky. An MP3 of today's show is available from the podcast link at careercycles.com. Catch Career Buzz every Wednesday, 11 a.m. till noon here on CIUT. I'm Mark Franklin. Thanks for listening to Career Buzz. You've been listening to Imagine Your Workplace 2019 conference interviews here on Career Buzz, Canada's unique radio conversation that empowers lives, enriches careers, and energizes organizations. I'm your host, Mark Franklin. You can find out more about me at careercycles.com and onelifetools.com. If you have any comments on today's interview, please email me. It's mark with a K at careercycles.com. Technical production today was by Kat Klippenstein. Catch Career Buzz every Wednesday at 11 a.m. till noon Eastern Time on CIUT 89.5 FM in the Greater Toronto Area or CIUT.FM Worldwide. Go to careercycles.com and click podcast. I'm Mark Franklin. Thank you for listening to Career Buzz.